Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. You turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 5. And as you're doing that, I title of the sermon this morning will stay up there for a few minutes. It's crying out for justice. Crying out for justice. So Dr. Keller, the Redeemer Church in New York City, tells a story, a true story that I would like to share with you this morning. It says, I recently met with Heather, a woman who attends my church in New York City. After graduating from Harvard Law School, she landed a lucrative job with a major law firm in Manhattan. It was a dream come true for most aspiring young professionals. She was a high-powered corporate lawyer. She was living the life in the big city, and yet it was all strangely unsatisfying. She wanted to make a difference in the lives of individuals, and she was concerned about those in society who could not afford the kind of fees that clients paid her firm. For a fraction of her former salary, she became an assistant district attorney for New York County, where so many of the criminals she prosecutes are those who have been exploiting the poor, particularly women. Um, He said, when I was a professor at a theological seminary in the 80s, one of my students was a man named Mark Gornick. And one day we were standing at the copper, he told me about that he was about to move into Sandtown, Baltimore. This is in 2004. One of the poorest and most dangerous neighborhoods in Baltimore City. I remember being quite surprised when I asked him why he simply said to do justice. It had been decades since any white people had moved into Sandtown. For the first couple of years, there it was touch and go. Mark told a reporter, the police thought I was a drug dealer and the drug dealers thought I was a police officer. So for a while there, I didn't know who was gonna shoot me first. (laughs) Yet over the years, Mark, along with leaders in the community, established a church and a comprehensive set of compassionate ministries that are slowly transforming part of the neighborhood. Although both Heather and Mark were living comfortable, safe lives, they became concerned about the most vulnerable, the poor, the marginalized members of our society, and they made a long-term personal sacrifice in order to serve the interests, needs, and cause. That is, according to the Bible, what it means to do justice. Now. Now, Dr. Keller does say this. He says that justice is care for the vulnerable. And and just a little, i got to set it up before we go to Nehemiah chapter 5, okay? The Hebrew word chesed, say chesed with a little bit of, yeah, don't spit now. Say chesed. This is God's unconditional grace and compassion for us. I've talked about this before. So the word for justice, and today we're talking about biblical justice. Nehemiah chapter 5 is giving us the opportunity to do that because of what is going on at the time of the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. But the word for justice is the Hebrew term mishpat. Say mishpat. There you go. See, you're already go to Israel now, right? 
So in Micah 6, 8, and you see the verse up there, Mishpat puts the emphasis on the action, right? Seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. But Chesed puts it on the attitude or the motive behind the action. So to walk with God, then, we must do justice out of merciful love. This is, we're getting, we're getting the biblical, a biblical theology. While that, while that sounds so nerdy, it, 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 it is just so full of who God is. The word mishpat in its various forms occurs more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. Watch this. Its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably, Dr. Keller says. I've studied these words. I could have taken and written some of this down in my own notes. I'm quoting Dr. Keller here because I just, we got to get this right as we go to Nehemiah chapter 5. So Leviticus 24, 22 warns Israel to have the same mishpat for the foreigner as for the native. I love that. It also means to give people their rights. So on the one hand, justice is to punish wrongdoing, right? And then on the other hand, it means to give people their rights and treat them equitably. So Deuteronomy, oh, we won't go into, the, don't, don't want to go too far there, right? I'll get carried away. So we have chesed, we have mishpat, mishpat. And um, over and over again, Mishpat describes taking up the care and the cause of widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. Time and again in the Old Testament. Here, this is what Zechariah says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppose the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. We're getting a biblical definition of what it means to do justice, but we're also hearing the heart of God that he also wants his people to share. So we see here, justice is care for the vulnerable. So we talk about uh, chesed is God's unconditional grace and compassion. We talk about we talked about mishpat, but here we're going to see something. We're going to, he's going to add on to it here. Psalm 146. He executes justice, mishpat, Psalm 146, for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. He doesn't say who's imprisoned where and to what are they imprisoned or what holds them in bondage. He said he sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. So what are we continuing to say here? Um, the Bible says that God is the defender of the poor. Today in Nehemiah chapter 5, we're going to see how a certain group of people became vulnerable to injustice. Now, God doesn't say, well, God says to treat everyone fairly in the Bible, then why does he take so much care to watch over the widow or the fatherless? 
or the orphan. It says because most often they were the ones who were vulnerable to injustice. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, Proverbs 31, 8 says. So, Israel was charged to create a culture of social justice for the poor and vulnerable because it was the way the nation could reveal God's glory and character to the world. So what are they to do? They are to live justly. They are to treat the the widow, the fatherless, the poor, and the immigrant a certain way because others will take advantage of them. But why? Watch this. All for God's glory. All because of who God is. And that's what Israel was called... That's what Israel was called to do. But now, here, here's where it gets really good. Justice is right relationships. You say, huh, Charlie? No, it's not. Justice is right relationships. There is, um, we get more insight when we consider a second Hebrew word. I told you we're going there today, y'all. That can be translated as being just, though it is usually translated being righteous. So I'm not going to go into all of the details, um, but I can't even say the word right. Zadeka. You know, I usually tell you guys to just fake it when everybody just believes you. If you're confident. Yeah, I have no confidence on that one there. Okay. So, but watch this. These two words, um, these two words roughly correspond to what some have called primary justice and rectifying justice. Now, you know, Keller is a nerd. He's one of the great theologians of our time, and that's why I love him. But here's what it is. Um, if, we were all, um, if we were all living the way um, God wanted us to, we wouldn't even need, um, um, we wouldn't even need rectifying justice. We wouldn't need to punish wrongdoing and we wouldn't need to stand up for the poor any longer because we would all be living in right relationship with one another. So here's what happens. Um, God, uh, Job talks a lot about this, right? Job is pleading his case to, to God and to his friends. I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist them. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I put on righteousness. There's that word. Zadokah, Zadekah. You'll figure it out. Some of you are better at that than I am. I, I put on righteousness as my clothing. Justice. Mishpat was my robe and my turban. I was eyes for the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I took up the case of the immigrant. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. Job was a righteous man, but Job did this in right relationships. So this word, the mishpat and tzedakah are, are, I forget how many times, but several times, several times throughout the word of God in the Old Testament, they are found together. So God commanded his people to live in right relationship with one another and to take up the cause of the widow, the orphan, the fatherless, and the immigrant. 
As a matter of fact, and also we do, God said they had to punish, they had a system of government, they had to punish wrongdoing. But he said if we were all living in right relationship with God and right relationship with one another, the other side of justice wouldn't even be necessary, amen? So Charlie, you just spent a whole lot of your 30 minutes unless you're gonna go way over to the, no. So, so when we see that people in Nehemiah chapter five, literally, you heard um, Anthony read the scripture. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their own Jewish brothers. Next slide, please. So here's what we're going to see, suffering loss. We're going to see God's people suffering loss leading to poverty in verses one through five. So there were those who said, we, our sons, our daughters are many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and leave, live. We're gonna see three, uh, three things going on here in the first five verses. Next slide. Thank you. So we're gonna see large families, working families, farming families, and in their society, these were usually the poorest people in, the, in their society. So here's what was going on. They were rebuilding the wall. They were obeying Nehemiah. I'm gonna say this up front before I forget it. Remember, Nehemiah told them um, after they experienced opposition and the people threatened to come and kill them all, that the workers had to stay in the city and sleep at night and stay there night and day. And that the people who were doing the majority of this work were working people and families. Remember, whole families were assigned to sections of these walls. So they were working hard all day, guarding the city and the wall at night. So they weren't at home taking care of their families. So he says, we have big families. We don't have enough grain and we don't have enough. We don't have enough food. We're hungry. We have big families and we're hungry. And then secondly, we see there were others who said we're mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our houses. Listen, these people were now becoming vulnerable. They had to basically sell, take out second mortgages, but back then literally sell their farm, their vineyard or their orchard, whatever, well, orchard, olive grove, whatever it might've been. They had to sell, well, who was gonna buy that? Wealthy people who could afford it. So literally, they had to mortgage their houses and their fields in order to eat food. And then, also there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax. Remember, they're under the Persian Empire here and they had to pay tax, they still had to pay taxes on their land. Everyone had to pay taxes back to Persia, back to Artaxerxes. And so they said, we can't do it. We're mortgaging our houses just to pay our taxes, which means next time, if we don't pay our taxes, they'll take our houses and take our land. And the other group said, we've mortgaged our houses and our vineyards and our olive groves to get, just to get the basics of food, um, which means who, we have to ask ourselves a question, who was buying all this from them? So the people are hungry, they're working hard, they're starving, and now, um, next slide. This is what we see. Here is what happens. Um, oh, uh, go back one. No, okay, go ahead. I think we missed one. No, no, that's good. So they're experiencing three things. They're experiencing, oh, there it is. Right, thank you. Loss of income, loss of property, high taxes. Was that me or was that you? That was me. Uh, next slide. Okay. Here's what happens. You're seeing working, the working poor of the society um, um, 
getting poorer and going down. And here's what happens. Here's the impact of poverty. And this is what we see today sometimes even in our own communities. Now these hardworking people have become vulnerable. They've become vulnerable um, to hunger. They've become vulnerable. They're not homeless yet, but they've become vulnerable to homelessness because now their houses and their property belong to somebody else, even though it's probably been in their family for generations and generations. The Bible says here, I think in verses four and five, that they are in distress. And we've defined that word, right? They are in distress. They're losing everything. They don't know which way to turn. They're sad. They're depressed. They're challenged. And then here's something else that poverty does to people. It makes them powerless. They were powerless to change the situation. These people weren't lazy. They didn't do anything wrong. These were hardworking people. And because of the possibility of a famine, and there was a possibility of a famine, but also you remember all those people around them that wanted to kill them? Well, now all of a sudden, all of the trade and business that they would normally do coming in and out of the city was shut down because the people that they were trading and doing business with are some of the same people who wanted to kill them. So there is this, there is this um, whole, um, um, this whole set of circumstances coming down on them all at once. And so they're crying out for help. Verses one through five. So we see a desperate situation. We see hardworking people. We see poor people. And now they've become vulnerable. They're powerless and they're in distress. We see that in our own community. Um, um, sometimes I share these things and sometimes I don't. I don't know if it was Wednesday or Thursday, Barry called me out back. Barry was working and called me to come out back. And um, um, there was a lady out back laying in the gravel. And um, um, she was not totally clothed. And um, she was laying in the gravel, and in her hand was the syringe that she had just used. And uh, she had fallen out in the alley back here and she had overdosed and I don't know what distress or what circumstances um, this woman is someone's daughter someone's child she is someone's loved one I don't know whose um, I know ultimately to whom she belongs amen because she's created in the image of God and um, and I, I ran in to get something to help her and I ran back out with a Narcan and um, another of her friends was out there already, you know, pushing it in her nose and, and she sat up. But I thought, what caused that woman to be vulnerable? What led her to that place of powerlessness and vulnerability? I don't know whether, whether circumstances thrust upon her, um, but certainly, certainly some set of circumstances thrust upon her that she didn't just say, someday I'm going to grow up and be a dope fiend laying in an alley. That's not what we dream of for our lives. This woman is vulnerable and she was powered. Now, praise God, contrary to a lot of circumstances, this woman got on the ambulance and praise God because I didn't think even with the Narcan she was gonna make it the other day. So why do I tell you a sad, why do I share that with you today? Because, because living in right relationship with God and others requires me requires me this is not something 
for a church planter or a pastor. This is something for a Christian who is a follower of Jesus, that the word of God is very plain that to do justice and live in right relationship with others requires me to have a real response in those circumstances. Now, will I become an advocate for the addicted um, in my life and because of my own circumstances and my own addiction? Yes, I'm an advocate for the addicted. That's doing justice. That's the living in right relation. That's just something God has called me to do, right? Um, God may be calling you to, to, um, um, to live justly and live in right relationship with those around you by serving a different group of people than I serve. But make no mistake about it. Biblical justice does not give us the alternative that I'm going to serve or care for someone. It is a clearly, clearly from God's word here in the Hebrew. Uh, it's not an option. It's a command. It's a Micah 6, 8. Zechariah. We see Job knew this very well because he was a righteous man. Zadokah, he lived that way. See, I said it good that time, even if I was wrong. Job, Job knew, he knew what God required of him, and he lived that way. So back, back to um, our account here. So then, we're already talking about in the next slide, how will I respond? Responding to injustice. We see this in verses we see this in verses 6 through 13, okay? And there are going to be several responses. Remember, Nehemiah is a godly man. Nehemiah is a godly leader. Nehemiah is a man of action, a builder, a hardworking guy. Nehemiah is a kind of leader we want to and should admire. But how does he respond? Verse 6, Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. Hey, Biblical, biblical injustice towards the fatherless, towards the homeless, the addicted, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant, I want to say this properly, should make us angry sometimes. But it should be the kind of anger that causes us to take action in relationships, and relationships require investment, and relationships and investments require time. Therefore, I have to alter my life in order to be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah took a lot of risks here. Nehemiah was the governor of Judah, right? Nehemiah had a lot of pull, but we're going to see the integrity of Nehemiah here in a few minutes. So next, here are several responses. Responding to injustice requires compassion. Compassion. Nehemiah's anger came out of his compassion because he knew he told these people they had to stay in the city at night. He knew they were farmers. He knew they were poor. He knew that missing one crop or missing several weeks of work on their farm could push them over the edge. He knew that. He said, so I heard their outcry in these words. He listened. We see the compassion of Nehemiah. When we hear people who are hurting and crying out for help, crying out for justice, compassion, compassion that comes from the Lord needs to be our first response. It's Nehemiah's first response, and I want to be a leader like Nehemiah. So compassion must be my first response. At least here, I'm going to go with that today. Uh, next, we're going to see in verse 7, responding to injustice requires courage. 
And boy, does it. I consulted, I, I thought this was kind of humorous. I consulted with myself. I said self. No, I consulted with myself. So again, remember, Nehemiah is a guy who in chapter one spent four months on his face in front of God. So he's angry, but he took the time to think, okay? He didn't just respond in anger. I consulted with myself and I contended. Nehemiah got in the face of the nobles and the rulers. Nehemiah was one of them. So Nehemiah won. He's going to make, he could risk making the influential people mad, making the wealthy people mad who were helping him get the job done. Nehemiah is a, a governor, but there are people more powerful than him in Persia and in the surrounding countries. But he says here to the, the um, well, these are his own people, to the nobles and the rulers, you are exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore, I had a great assembly against them. Listen, they were the ruling, they were part of the ruling party, ruling group, just like Nehemiah. He couldn't ask them how to fix the problem. They were the problem. So what did he do? This required courage. He called an assembly. He called all the people out and he called it what it was in front of God and everybody. Man, I'm telling you what, that takes some courage. He could lose money, he could lose his position, um, he could lose his reputation, he could lose all kinds of things. There are already people who want to kill him and we'll see that again in the next chapter as well. So, so responding to injustice requires courage. Um, um, next slide, please. And so responding to injustice requires right, right relationship with God. And I do see that here in 8 and 9. He says, I said to them, according to our ability, have, we have redeemed our Jewish brothers and sisters who were sold to the nation. Now would you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not say a word. Nehemiah talks about redemption. And that's where I got quiet, and that's where I even had to walk away from the table a couple of times. The children of Israel had been in bondage before. When God led them out of Egypt, he said he did it by his strong right hand, that God rescued his people and led them to freedom out of Egypt. God allowed them to be in bondage here for 70 years because of their disobedience to him. But Nehemiah says, look, we've had to go and buy our people back from all over the place, and now you're going to sell your brothers and sisters? You're going to sell your brothers and sisters to other brothers and sisters? He says, I called them out. He says, look, we redeemed each other from bondage. The Bible says, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. So when you were a sinner, when you were helpless, when you were God's enemy, 
God demonstrated his love to you and me through Jesus Christ, redeeming us. He bought us back from sin and Satan and self through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Nehemiah is telling his people, we've redeemed, you know, and certainly God says God ultimately redeemed them, but we've had to redeem our people and buy them back from slavery, and, and you would sell your own people out. You're selling your own people out. Responding this way requires right relationship with God. Nehemiah understood the righteousness of God. He understood, watch this, he understood the cost of redemption. You and I, when we care about someone, we must understand the cost of redemption. Because the same Jesus who died for you to save you died to save that person to whom God is calling you to reach out to. And to be treated the same way somebody treated you when they loved you and shared the gospel with you and with me. So that's redemption. Thank you. <laughs> so next we're going to see responding to injustice requires confession and change. How many of y'all like change? Oh, wow. A couple of y'all. How many of y'all just lied? No, I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's it's, it's Generally speaking, most of us don't like change. Some of you are adventurous and you're ready to go get out there. But listen, responding to injustice requires confession and change. Look at verses 10 through 13. Nehemiah says, this is what you're going to do. He says, and likewise, now listen to this. And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. Even Nehemiah and the people who were serving directly with him were loaning the poor people money to buy their food and grain. Now, here in this particular scripture, I'm fairly convinced that he wasn't enslaving his brothers and sisters, but he had participated, watch this, he had participated in a system that was unjustly leading people into poverty, and he was a participant. He was a participant. Yeah, that, wow, I didn't even know how powerful that was till just now. Listen, sometimes we are capable of participating in a system that leads people further into poverty if we are not carefully following God's prescription for justice. I use the term biblical justice. Matter of fact, if you would like, if you would like to get down and dirty with it, with, God, with Jesus, you, um, um, get a copy of Generous Justice by Reverend Dr. Timothy Keller and you read Generous Justice. From the term, the title of the book, you would not think that it would make you cry, but it broke my heart. It broke my heart. Generous Justice. So here we go. Confession and change. He said, even me and my servants, who I oversee closely, we've participated in this system of injustice and we're no longer going to do it. We're no longer. And he says, now, please give back to them this very day. This very day. This is justice. This isn't, we're going to write a bill and get it to Congress, and three years from now, we might do something about it. This isn't a press conference that says, this isn't a press conference that says, um, um, this is heinous and we won't stand for it. No, this is give them back this day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and the money and the grain and the new wine and the oil that you are taking from them. Stop it. He already said stop it. Now he says give it back. Give it back. 
Then they said, we will give it back and will require nothing from them. Nothing from them. Um, you know, I didn't put a slide up there for this, but biblical justice and right relationship with God requires obedience. Requires obedience. If I'm participating in a system, sometimes I'll find something out about a company and I do business with them. And I think, you know, and I hear they do something really cruddy to people in order to do their business. I, I go and I research it, right? I don't just like jump on the social media train and, and make an evil post about something I don't know about. Um, um, I say, oh God, please break these thumbs today so that I don't do this. And, but sometimes I will stop buying products and services if I think people are being treated unjustly. I don't do it every day. But something sometimes horrifies me and I go and I check it out. I don't want to be part of a system that causes, that leads others into poverty and exacerbates a system that will continue to take advantage of others. Oh my goodness. So it requires obedience, requires obedience. So confession and change, and change takes place right away. We see that. Next, next slide. Biblical justice, we see this in 14 through 19. I'll explain it briefly. And did he say, just say briefly, and you said amen? Yes, in your head. It's biblical justice requires servant leaders with integrity. It requires servant leaders with integrity. Moreover, from the day I was appointed to be the governor of the land of Judah, uh, what he says here, Nehemiah says, I got an allowance from the king. So, you know, King Artaxerxes gave him a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of lumber. He told the other people to give Nehemiah everything he needed. Nehemiah had a king's allowance, but he knew that that allowance came from taxes on the very people that were being uh, um, treated unfairly and pressed. So you know what he did? Nehemiah did not use his king's allowance for any of his business. Now, the Bible doesn't say where his money came from, but Nehemiah did not exact taxes. He did not take taxes from the people, and he did not even use the money that the king gave him because that came from taxes on these people. So he said, I didn't do it for 12 years. He said, um, and then because, and here's the reason, the governors who were before me, the governors who were before me, um, we can go to the next slide. The governors who were before me, they did this cruddy stuff. They took taxes, they burdened the people, they pushed people into poverty, and I will not do that. I will find another way to do what I have to do as a leader. Here are some of the things we see about Nehemiah in verses 14 through 19. Nehemiah was a person of integrity. Even when he realized inadvertently that what he was doing, he thought he was helping people, he wasn't, so he stopped doing that. Integrity. I used to tell my kids they needed a short definition so that they would remember it in youth group. Integrity is what you do in the dark. Integrity is what you and I do when no one is looking. Nehemiah was a man of integrity. He had every right to that allowance because the king said he could have it, but he knew where it came from so he wouldn't take it. You see the fear of God. We see it twice in this chapter. He said, but um, I, didn't, I, I didn't do what the other governors did because I fear God. Now, sometimes you and I, we must have a healthy fear of God. When I was a kid, I, I joke around a little bit, but maybe not too much. We had a healthy fear of my dad when we were young. My dad was six foot, you know, and my dad was a tough guy, and my dad worked hard. And, and if my mom said, I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home, oh, my goodness, we thought about running away. We thought about running away. 
because it was not going to be pretty, right? So, but uh, all that to say, my personal definition of living in the fear of God is living in right relationship with God because I know who God is. I know who I am. Therefore, I know who I must be and how I must behave. Same thing at home. I knew who my mom was. I knew who my dad was. I knew if my mom told my dad I did something real cruddy, there was going to be something to be paid for when dad got home. I had a healthy fear. Nehemiah says, I fear God, therefore I did not treat these people like the former governors did. So healthy fear of God, amen, praise God. Also, I think it really is um, big picture, it's living in right relationship with God. So he had a fear of God. Focus. Look at verse 16. I love this. And this appeals to me because I would rather, I would rather work and do a whole bunch of work than think about my heart. So that's really not ideal. But verse 16, I also applied myself to the work on this wall. He said, I didn't get distracted and buy land and all my servants were gathered. Therefore, my servants didn't go out and do stuff on my behalf. They were building a wall with me. And... I didn't get into speculative real estate while I was there because why? Because God gave me a task to do to build it. I didn't buy any houses. I didn't buy any land. I went to work on this wall. Man, he stayed focused. Why? He knew what God called him to do. He had a healthy fear of God. He wanted to glorify God. He didn't want to take advantage of anybody. So he just made sure by not buying any land or houses. Then we see compassion in verse 17. Moreover, there were 150 Jews and officials besides those who came from the nations all around me. He had to feed and entertain people who came to visit him because he was the governor of Judah. And so he had, um, he had compassion and he prepared this food. But remember, he had to get all this food without using the king's money. He's doing the king's work. He's doing God's work. He has to entertain these officials. He has to do his job. He has people who work for him. Um, and he had compassion for these people. He would sit 150 people down um, in the place and feed them, you know, several days or weeks or maybe even every day because this, is, this was his job as a governor of Judah. Lastly, in verse 18, we see that um, yet for all of this, everything that I did, I did not demand the governor's food allowance because the tax was heavy on this people. And then he cries out to God in the last verse, Remember me, O God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. Some might even say, uh, well, in verse 18, we see the wisdom in how he functioned. Some might even say he was a little haughty. But look, he was excited about the fact that he was serving God and serving God's people the way God had called him to. And he says, O God, remember me for all that I've done for this people. He wanted God to know that he was doing everything humanly possible to be a person of integrity. But I think today, you know, what could I say? What would we say to ourselves and to one another? I think if we say in closing that exercise, that exercising justice through relationship, biblical justice through relationship in my community and in the city of Baltimore will require something of me. 
It will require taking the time to build relationships. It will require courage and compassion for people who don't look like you and people who don't act like you and sometimes even people who don't smell like you. And God's going to say something to you. He's going to say, love this person. Love these people. And don't mess around because sometimes we might, <laughs> I might be the unlovable person that God calls you to love on, right? So, so what does God say? God says, don't get it twisted, right? But, so, but to bring it home, living, living a lifestyle of justice and right relationship with God and others might require some courage because it might make other people mad. It might make people who I, um, I look like and where I come from disagree with me. They might cut me off. They might not like me anymore. But notice, um, I'm using the term biblical justice because as a follower of Jesus Christ and a child of God, sometimes when I say that doing justice and living in right relationship is hard, sometimes it will require me to lovingly say hard things to the people for whom God has called me to care. Even the people for whom God has called me to care might not always like me. But God, if we do it his way, the compassion, the chesed, the mercy, and if we do it in right relationship, we can live a lifestyle of mishpat as followers of Jesus Christ. Amen.